Cultural journeys are very individualistic. There is no magic bullet. There's no one size fits all approach to developing culture because it depends on the human nature of the employees within the organization. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hello everyone, it's episode 161. Today, we're exploring why company culture is an alignment of values. Our guest this week is Jim Mayer, president of the culture coaching and consulting firm TCO Strategies, and more recently, host of the Manufacturing Culture podcast. Now, I've gotten to know Jim fairly recently. I had first met him at Fabtech in Chicago at an impromptu manufacturing happy hour meetup. That was just about a month before we recorded this interview. And even more recently, we met up when he was in my town shortly after that. We'll tell you more about that story in a second. But regardless, I've been hearing more and more murmurings about his new manufacturing culture podcast. So we got this interview on the books. Now that you have the backstory, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll get some backstory from Jim and hear why he decided to start the Manufacturing Culture podcast. Second, Jim will share some of his expertise around culture and how it impacts readiness for change inside of the manufacturing industry. Plus, he'll tell us some of the stories he's heard on his show that continue to shape his perspective around culture. Finally, this episode gets a bit more conversational than you might normally hear on this show. Jim asks me some questions. We get into a bit of pop culture. I'm not going to get into all the details, but I hope you see this as a nice little deviation from our normal standard operating procedure. Anyway, as always, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 161. And if you are enjoying this podcast, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts, over at Spotify, wherever you're listening to your shows. And you know what? Why don't you give Jim's podcast a listen as well? Check out the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Give them a five-star review as well because, hey, it is a five-star podcast. Anyway, that's it for the intro. It's time to grab some burgers with Jim Mayer. Jim, I'm not going to lie. One of the reasons I'm excited for today's interview is you and I actually got to hang out and have not only some beverages, but some burgers recently in West Allis, Wisconsin at Wild Roots. The Duck Fat Burger. Tell the audience what you thought of the Duck Fat Burger. I've never talked about this burger on the show before, so it's a good first time to do it. Okay. Uh, It was... In my estimations, Chris, one of the top five burgers I've ever had. Um, I grew up uh, in cattle country, northwestern Colorado, so I'm very familiar to really, really good cheeseburgers. This one was hands down one of the best I've ever had. Uh, That paired with the dollar oysters and the maple old fashioned at Wild Roots, it was in the conversation company, right? I can't forget that. Uh, all of those factors together, it was it was a great experience. 
It was fun. You were in town for the Wisconsin Manufacturing and Technology Summit. I think I got that right. I can't remember the exact acronym. It's show. It's show. Wisconsin Manufacturing Technology Show. That's yeah. right. That's right. I'll link up to them in the show notes anyway so folks know where to find it. But you were in town. I I forget how it came up. I think I just mentioned that the show is happening or something. You're like, I'm going to be there too. You want to grab dinner? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'll see you tomorrow. And based on your location, I know exactly exactly where that dinner needs to be. So, yeah. so we were at Wild Roots, but I have to ask you if we were in your neck of the woods or anywhere else of your choosing, where might we have had our conversation or in the spirit of today's interview, where would we be having today's conversation if it were back over a beverage? Yeah. So, uh, if we were in my neck of the woods, I would say we would be at either Chelsea's Kitchen, uh, which is kind of uptown Phoenix. It's a mainstay staple for my wife and I. Great food, great cocktails, awesome patio once the temperature uh, is appropriate here. Um, that that would be one, especially if you are anywhere near downtown uh, Phoenix. If you were more over in Old Town Scottsdale, uh, Bourbon and Bones would have been the place that that we would go um, for literally some of the greatest cocktails that you could have. And they have bone marrow shooters and uh, just very interesting food and cocktail forward place. But the ambiance is amazing. Well, it's not always that we get three restaurant and bar shout outs right in the first three minutes of the interview, but it's a bar crawl today. So let's say we're hanging out at Bourbon and Bones. I've yeah. got a question for you. I want to hear your story. What got you fascinated with manufacturing culture such that you consult on it? You've got a podcast on it now. How did you get into it? What drew you in? Uh, great question. Um it, it was my lived experiences, Chris. So uh, I worked for a lot of companies over the course of my employed career. We'll call it that before I went off on my own. And in those companies, I found that I didn't always mesh culturally. Right. In one of the larger organizations I worked for, uh, I would send ideas to the head office. Right. Large corporation, one of 4000 employees. I would send uh, ideas that I had vetted with fellow employees, other managers throughout the, the organization. And I always got that, uh, you know, canned answer. Well, you're from the field. That's not very, uh, you know, that's not really a viable uh, type suggestion. Um, instead of saying, hey, let's build out on that. Right. There, there are ways that you can incorporate feedback from your, your field employees. Uh, and then really it was. When I was traveling with the NTMA uh, over in Europe, we were doing a trip Munich to Milan. And uh, as my role with the NTMA, I had uh, spent a lot of time talking with our members about their biggest problems and their biggest problems for the last decade or so have been the people. And uh, yet I was finding these companies we're still treating employees like it was 1950, 1960, um, and not really willing to look in the mirror and say, 
this is how I treat my employees. Of course, they don't want to come work here, right? Um, and that's that's a broad stroke statement that doesn't, of course, apply to every manufacturer out there. There are a lot of companies who do get it right, but for the most part, uh, the the idea that. Uh, people would just come work for them and they were okay with the turnover, okay with the churn, but then they weren't okay when they couldn't find somebody is what led me into starting uh, what was a side business at the time, uh, doing engagement surveys for uh, companies in in our industry, uh, telling them the data on why their employees uh, weren't staying or weren't happy uh, in an anonymous setting. Fast forward a couple of years and another gig later, uh, I was very fortunate enough to go out on my own and do uh, TCO strategies, start TCO strategies as a full-time gig. Uh, saw a lot of failure in the first year, uh, had to revamp my go-to-market strategy a couple of times. Uh, as part of that go-to-market strategy, I realized that people were really tired of hearing from me and other people that weren't in the manufacturer's shoes themselves about company culture, about engagement, about workforce development, about transitioning workforces. So uh, I had done a email marketing campaign last summer, uh, summer of 22. And I heard from a lot of manufacturers that soft skills don't belong in manufacturing. I've told that story a couple of times on the the, uh, manufacturing culture pod. Why would someone, I got to interrupt. Why would someone ever say that? That is ridiculous that soft skills don't belong in manufacturing. Why would anyone say that about any industry? I want to just get your blunt take on this right here. Uh, because they're afraid of change, Chris. Uh, I think that that's really the the biggest issue when it comes to culture, when it comes to uh, soft skills, as it were. They look at the ROI. They, they can measure the ROI of hard skills. They can't measure the ROI of soft skills, or they don't think that they can't, right? There, there are ways to measure that, and you can measure it through turnover and, and uh, retention rates and a lot of other things. Um, but to them, it was an uh, unmeasurable change metric, and people are very uncomfortable with change. So that's why I got a lot of pushback on that. But I also got a, a ton of emails back from companies saying, we've got a phenomenal culture. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Would love to have a conversation with you. So I started calling these companies, and I'd get these wonderful stories about these journeys in the industry of from the time somebody took over for family or they bought or they moved their way up and and become presidents of organizations or they came in as an external hire in some cases. And I was telling a good friend uh, about these stories and she said, you've got to start a podcast. And Chris, total transparency, I'm the most reluctant podcaster. I've told you this when we had burgers. Yeah, Uh, you've talked about your resistance to the idea initially before, but tell us more here on the show. Yeah, this is not about me. This is about these people. And and I've not uh, ever been one to want this. Uh, I heard my voice in the 90s on answering machines. I hate the sound of my own voice. I think a lot of people do. And, you know, I've I've done the Toastmasters. I've done those things. I love speaking in front of people. It's the recorded voice that I have to then hear back that I I really don't like. So needless to say, I uh, was challenged to start a podcast. Um, 
And one day in the middle of December, started a website, announced it on LinkedIn because I knew if I announced it on LinkedIn, I wouldn't have any choice but to follow through with it and uh, recorded my first episode with Kristen Carlson at the beginning of last year uh, at a Peerless Precision in, in Western Mass. I fumbled through it uh, so much so that I've now offered her a second episode because I've gotten better. Not that I'm good, but I've gotten better uh, and, and I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And now I'm having more fun doing this than I have with the consulting side. Uh, I, I love giving the ability for people to tell their stories. That that to me is the coolest job that I could ever do. Dan, and for the audience out there, Jim's being modest. The Manufacturing Culture Podcast is a great show currently on the rise. If you like Manufacturing Happy Hour, you're going to like the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. In fact, I'd be shocked if there weren't some overlap in our listeners already. I'm sure some people are listening to this today being like, yeah, duh, Chris, of course I already know about the Manufacturing <laughs> Culture Podcast. But uh, I, I want to go back in time a little bit. One thing that stuck out when you were giving us your background was you sent out those engagement surveys. And I kind of yeah want to hear from you what you learned about culture then and what you've learned about culture since starting the podcast now that you're by the time this comes out probably over 40 episodes in been doing it for 10 months you know yeah. so let's go back in time what did what did you learn from the engagement surveys about manufacturing culture uh i learned in the very beginning when i was doing that as a side gig chris that there are a lot of gaping holes in our industry and ones that we tend to talk about quite a bit, but little action is actually taken, right? Um, but I was convinced at that point that culture was something that uh, was difficult, that culture was a hard thing to define. Um, and it was a an eye-opening experience when I started the podcast and had been, you know, doing the TCO strategy stuff for uh, about 13, 14 months. Uh, and I realized all culture really is, is the alignment of values between an organization and its employees. Once that connection happens, it's positive. So it's not up to me or anybody else to sit out there and tell somebody that they've got a negative culture, right? And that's what I started by doing when I was doing these engagement surveys was I would say to people, you've got a toxic culture. Well, what is toxic to me may be totally acceptable to Chris because Chris, you've got different values than I do. Not saying that all of our values are different, but what you value in your experiences in the world of work are going to be vastly different than what I value. And so what I look for in an organization is going to be different from what you look for, from what anybody looks for. So once we realize that people are individuals and their ability to view culture is going to be very individualized, that's when we can start making that cultural change within our companies to make sure that each individual who works for us loves the culture and lives the culture and is able to be there on a day in and day out basis. So culture is the alignment between an individual's values and a company's values. I'm not sure I've ever heard it phrased that way before and I'm surprised I haven't because that makes perfect sense to me. We'll be back in a moment, but first, 
quick word from our sponsor. If you're in the industrial automation world, then you know ISA, the International Society of Automation. But you might not know about their upcoming Black Friday week sale. As a nonprofit professional association of engineers, technicians, and management engaged in industrial automation, ISA is one of the best societies out there if you're looking for direction in industry standards or training courses for technicians, engineering, cybersecurity, certifications, you name it. And if you go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash blackfriday23 for midnight on November 20th through November 27th, 2023, You'll be able to save big on books, standards, training courses, and ISA merchandise. As the globally trusted provider of foundational standards-based technical resources for our industry, ISA strives to build a better world through automation. Again, don't miss out on Black Friday week deals from November 20th through 27th by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash blackfriday23. And now, back to today's episode. What's something you've learned about culture in the manufacturing space since you started your show? Like I said, you're over 40 interviews in now, so you've definitely picked up something along the way. What's maybe your biggest realization or surprise you've come across since then? That people in our industry, some people are very ready for culture conversations and some people aren't. Uh, culture is a backbone of what organizations are going to be able to, in the manufacturing industry specifically, uh, of what they're going to be able to do in the future, right? So when you look at culture in the manufacturing industry, innovation doesn't happen without a culture of innovation. Winning doesn't happen without a culture of, of winning, right? So creating and defining what values you want, creating and defining what culture you want for your organization will define what success you have because that will define what success means to you. So I want to ask you a little more specifically about a topic you brought up before the interview. Um, You talk about something called the automation culture paradox in SMB manufacturers. Yeah. Let's say we're having those beverages at Bourbon and Bones. Is that at yeah, Bourbon and that, Bones? That's that little it. spot. Yeah. All right. So we're having our second cocktail at Bourbon and Bones. <laughs> what is the automation culture paradox in SMB manufacturers? Tell us as if we're having that drink. Yeah. So um, the that paradox comes down to the realization that a lot of companies aren't afraid of automation they're not culturally ready for automation. Automation, it's been proven that automation can reduce or increase productivity by close to 2% across the board, right? Which is a a big percentage when you're talking about manufacturing widgets or or even job shops, right? 2%, that's only been measured in the companies that have actually implemented automation. And those companies are typically ones that understand who they are, 
who they want to be, what their values are, and they hire on a cultural basis, right? They hire the right people to fit the culture of to where they want to get to. That paradox, uh, the the cultural uh, automation paradox, uh, comes to the idea that companies especially those small to medium sized companies, they're not ready culturally. They haven't defined who they are and what they want their culture to be. So they can't then bring in that innovation to then become more productive. How does one become more culturally ready then? What have you found in terms of people that while they might not be culturally ready for automation and a technology evolution today, what are the steps they can take to get there? Great question. So cultural journeys are very individualistic, just like for you and I, our values are very individualistic. Uh, so are the cultural journeys of organizations. There is no magic bullet. There's no one size fits all uh, approach to developing culture because it depends on the human nature of the employees within the organization. So the steps that I help organizations uh, through is a defining their mission, vision, and values. That's step one. Define who you currently are, who do you want to be when you grow up, and what do you value within your organization. Then from there, we can identify two to three words that are what the leaders want to their culture to be defined as, right? From there, we go to the employees and we talk with the employees. Where do you feel the culture is here today now? After I ask that question, then I talk about the mission, vision, and values because 90% of the companies that I work with, they say they have those three elements, but most employees can't recite them. And so if, if your employees don't know what you're who you are now, who you want to be when you grow up and what you value, then they're not living the culture of the organization, right? So quick hits, uh, quick tips for people, identify who you are now, who you want to be when you grow up and, and what you value, identify what you want to be known as, what your culture want, you know, is, is it innovation? Is it winning? Is it, uh, you know, human nature? Is it social responsibility? Whatever it may be. And then measure that. Uh, there are multiple tools out there on how you can measure your culture. You can measure your engagement. Uh, TCO offers a solution. Uh, but there are other companies out there. There are tons of companies out there that can help you measure where you currently are with your culture. It's then the the that's only the first step though is measuring or i guess the second step technically uh it's what you do with that data afterwards that's so important for an organization's cultural journey uh if you start talking about culture and engagement and what you want that to be with your organization and with the employees, and then you don't do anything with it, your culture is going to plummet. Your engagement is going to plummet. You're going to start having people walking around completely disengaged and uninterested in being there. So uh, measuring and defining where you want to be is only a por portion. It's what you do with that data afterwards that, that's really important for organizations, especially in our industry. So if I'm hearing you right, there's got to be a level of self-awareness there and a 
future looking perspective to know who you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. Like that's step one. And I imagine there are people that are going through this without having that fundamental covered. And then when you start evolving, you need to have a way to measure progress, if I heard you correctly. So Jim, another question I have is around some of the individual lessons you've pulled from your podcast, because the way I'm thinking of this is in the context of earlier in this interview, you talked about how culture is alignment of values of the people and the company. That's I've never heard it phrased that way before. It's one of those things where it's like, gosh, why did it take that long to to hear that? But I think of that as one of the moments that's happened to me on this show. So I'm curious, despite being very involved in manufacturing culture up to this point, what is something that shifted your perspective? Maybe a specific story from one of your guests. Yeah. So I've got two uh, that really jump out at me, uh, Chris. The first one was Steve Tomasi, uh, Boston Centerless. He has an entire wall dedicated to the flags of the people who work for him. He does a a lot of hiring of people who are not from the U.S., right? And to me, that's a great way to draw in talent uh, from overseas, right? Uh, And Steve saw that he had, I think it was at the time we recorded, uh, 16 different nationalities. And so he dedicated an entire wall of his facility to those flags so that those people who came from overseas, from other places, felt connected not only to the land that they were working on, but the four walls that they were working within. And that was a very intentional move on Steve's part to to make that alignment happen. One that's a little bit more funny is Devin Gassoff from Drop Sprockets up in uh, British Columbia. When they do their interviews, uh, they have one question at the very end, and it determines the cultural fit of that person. And that one question is, what's your favorite comedy movie? And he told us this story on the podcast about how they were looking to hire a new manager within the organization. And that one of the candidates said, well, that's a stupid question. And even though he was the most talented person, the best person on paper for the role The fact that he answered the question that way meant that he was not a good cultural fit for them. And so they passed on. Yeah. I mean, the correct answer is office space anyway. So, you know. (laughs) So I I went with a a couple, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, I went with office space and I went with uh, Anchorman. Those are my three favorites. But uh, I'm glad that you you and I align on the office space one because that is arguably one of the best workplace uh, movies ever released. Yes, we, you and I have cultural and personal alignment in Absolutely. that capacity. Absolutely. I do love, 
I do love Monty Python. Anchorman is also on my list of like top comedies in the last 20 years. I do have to give a shout out to Mel Brooks as well. Young Frankenstein is also high on my list. Um, I'm glad the conversation went this way. I'm glad, <laughs> glad, glad you took us down this well, path. <laughs> well, let's let's go Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs. I mean, you could uh, any of those Mel Brooks from the late 70s and 80s were just amazing movies that you could not make today. I mean, there is no way that in this world you could make any of those movies, even, you know, Monty Python, even Anchorman, even Office Space, I would argue you couldn't make in today's world and have the cultish following that each of them had uh, at the time and still continue to have today. Absolutely. You know, you're you're totally right. I do look forward to whatever the next great comedy is because there's still plenty of good humor ahead of us. There is. Those are excellent stories. That's a great question. I'm going to start asking people their favorite comedy movie as well for <laughs> for that same reason. In in the meantime though, let's let's talk about starting a podcast a little bit because Relatively speaking, a 10-month-old podcast is a newcomer podcast to the yeah. game. And you mentioned you were reluctant from the get-go. Do you feel now or let me make this more actionable the way I'm going to ask this question. What do you say to people that think they might be too late to the game when it comes to a new idea or a concept that people might default to saying, oh, well, it's already been done before. There's no room for me anymore. What's your response to that? That's a phenomenal question. I would say if if you feel late to the game, reach out to people in the space that you want to cover and see if there's a spot for you on their show, right? The reason manufacturing culture started was while there's a, a lot of us in this space, a lot of us focus or a lot of the focus has been on technology around the processes. Um, I didn't find one that focused solely on the people. You know, I yours is the most people focused of the the podcasts in our space in in my opinion right i could be totally wrong so don't send me hate mail don't at me on twitter <laughs> um to me that's that's chris's uh, he was the most people focused um but he wasn't necessarily only telling cultural journeys right so if you've got that unique niche go ahead Give it a shot. There are, I think, 2.5 million podcasts on Apple right now with one single episode. That sounds right. Uh, yeah, absolutely I need to look amazing. at the stats. Yeah, and the amount of podcasts that get abandoned after 12 episodes or something like that is also extremely high. Yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of stats that while the amount of podcasts might seem daunting, once you really dive into the numbers, you realize, oh, yeah, there are a lot less people here than I initially thought. Yeah, because it's hard, Chris. The next round of our interviews coming up right after a word from our sponsor. Three M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition is a high-stakes grinding and welding competition that pits soon-to-be pros against each other to find rising stars in the skilled trades. You can catch this one-of-a-kind video series now by subscribing to 3M Abrasive's YouTube channel by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M. 
Think of this series like a manufacturing reality show, where the top winner receives a whopping $10,000 scholarship sponsored by Fanuc. Now why is 3M doing this? Well, 3M is on a mission to create 5 million skilled trade and STEM learning experiences designed to inspire curiosity, improve educational outcomes, and provide transformational opportunities for underrepresented individuals. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash the Grinders Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. I mean, uh, you've been doing, I, I don't know how long Manufacturing Happy Hour has been around. Uh, is it 12 years at this point? No, 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 no. I was I was much later to the game than that. Um, I wish it had been 12 years. That would have been really forward thinking <laughs> on my end. Um, we're actually I mean, really, I'm at seven years okay. since recording the very first episode, but it really didn't come turn into something more serious or a podcast until three years after that. So okay. the way I look at it, we're really celebrating our four year anniversary right, right. around this time well, here in October huge. 2023. Yeah, that's yeah. huge, man. Congratulations to me. It's hard. It's hard work. You, you've been doing it for four years now on a regular basis, seven years overall. You know, for me and the manufacturing culture pod, the the good news is I don't do a lot of preparation. Uh, so behind the curtains for all of your listeners, I have natural conversations. I have two scripted questions and that's it. What's been your cultural journey and what are three things that you've done that have changed the culture within your organization? Other than that, it's 40 minutes of just conversation between two people about culture in manufacturing based on their first answer. Right. So outside of that, I don't have to do a whole lot of prep. I know other podcasters like yourself and other there. There is a lot more preparation. There's a lot more research that goes into it. I don't do any research. I, I have at this point, people are coming to me enough that they want to be on the podcast that I have one intro call with them. Make sure that they and I are a good cultural fit, that we're mm-hmm. going to have a good conversation. Outside of that, they provide me their bio. I write one of my bios and then we're off to the races. We record and then I do the post-production and I post. That's still a lot of hard work just <laughs> with, with that, right? I can't imagine throwing the research into it. I mean, I, I have uh, another show that uh, I'm working on a concept with two other people and it's research based. I've got another concept that I'm working on with three other people and, and that's, you know, aligning schedules. There's just so much work that goes into this that if you've got an idea and there's already that topic out there. Reach out to that person, see if you can join, support, do whatever you can to to help them. And if you're a company that's looking for a podcast or looking to start your own podcast, my advice, there are so many of us out here that are looking for relative content for each of our different segments we're more than happy to to help you out. Reach out to us. Um, don't feel like you have to start one on your own. That last 
an episode or seven episodes or, or, you know, 12 episodes, and then it falls off. Uh, work with us. Uh, I'm working with an organization right now. They wanted to start their own podcast or they had an idea. They realized they could maybe get four episodes out of it. So they reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind uh, doing a mini series with me? And I said, that's a phenomenal idea. Let's talk about it. So we would talk through it and it's going to be a good fit because we're talking about the people within the organization. So uh, I think that there's a lot of ways that people can get the podcast exposure that they're looking for, this new media, quote unquote, exposure uh, without having to take the time, money and effort to do it on their own. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot in that answer there. I'll I'll uh, I'll highlight a couple things. I think your your assessment about hey, you know, I didn't see a podcast that was specifically the manufacturing culture podcast, which is very correct. Like it's one of the topics that comes up on my show. You'll hear it on other manufacturing shows as well. But there's always more room at the table. Like right. you chose to go the route of doubling down on that and to bring this into a manufacturing lesson for the audience. Know that, you know, whether it's a new product line or an area you want to expand into, if you've got the competency or could have the competency in that space or the ability to scale or pivot to that direction easily, you know, I would say who cares if someone else is already doing it? Figure out do you have a unique value proposition that you can bring to the table, same way that you brought your your podcast to, uh, that your, your own unique value proposition to your podcast as yeah, well. So a like lot of great, a lot of great ideas. I have been toying with that mini series idea as well, a little behind the curtains on my end. You bring up some good points, right? There's more than one way to do a podcast. There's more than one way to run a business. You have your two questions ready to go. I go the route of having for, for the listeners out there, I think they might know this, but I have three themes essentially for every episode. I make sure my guest and I are aligned on what those themes are going to be. Maybe I'll send them some, some questions in advance that will be associated with those. Maybe I won't. It really it, – it depends on the guest, right? Like what are they comfortable with? Do they want to be extra prepared or are they more like you? Do they want to be like, hey – just give me one like goalpost here and I'll, I'll do my best to hit it once I'm on the show. So a lot of different ways to do it. You know, as, as we get towards the end of our conversation, we've talked podcasting, we've talked culture. Is there anything you wish I would have brought up that I haven't brought up yet? I want to know where, and this is my question to you. This is my little, uh, cultural takeover, uh, moment for Chris, uh, Chris, Where's the most exciting place that you've been? What's the most exciting food that you've had? And, oh, I had that third one. What is your definition of culture in manufacturing? All right. Most exciting place I've been and most exciting food I've had. I don't know if I've shared this with the audience yet. My top, I have two favorite cities in the world. They're tied for first. Okay. New Orleans is the the one here in the US and then Berlin is my global city. Those uh, are like opposite ends of the spectrum, but tell us I more. I mean, a little bit, a little bit. They both, they're, they both have grit. They both have, let's say, a bit of an off the beaten path character yeah. a little bit. They're both very rich in culture, I would say, whereas 
Berlin brings a lot of that diversity you'd expect from a large global city, particularly one that's come up in the past just uh is it just over 30 years yeah just over 30 years where it's kind of had to reinvent itself since the fall of the berlin wall there's just a vibe there and an energy that you don't get anywhere else the the city doesn't have to try hard to be cool it just is <laughs> and cool it, it it is it's it's nowhere else like i've been in the world new orleans also has that grit like I mentioned, right? Like yeah. you're in a city, you're in a city that to an extent shouldn't exist. It sits below sea level, right? They had to engineer their way to make the city exist. And their culture, I, I think it's most summarized when I go see a touring act or a local act in New Orleans. Every touring act wants to play there. Every touring act has a story of how New Orleans or New Orleans music has impacted their careers. So I look at New Orleans as a town that is just an export uh, exporter of music culture. I like it. And then where's my favorite food? I mean, New Orleans style po' boys. I go on record all the time saying like sandwiches are my favorite food on earth in general because a peanut butter sandwich on the ski slopes tastes really good in Absolutely. that moment. But I would say there's no finer sandwich than like a Gulf oyster or Gulf shrimp or catfish po' boy on Leidenheimer French bread in New Orleans, uh, dressed all the way as it should be. Yeah. Um, but since we were talking about Berlin, my local bar here in Milwaukee is a place called Vanguard. We recorded episode 153 there with Terry Iverson. That was a lot of fun. You've had him on your show. Yeah. And they serve a mean Berlin currywurst. They do house-made sausages. So. Wow. All right. Next time I come, I, I want to go there. Um, uh, next time I make that trip to Wisconsin. It probably would have been my first pick had you not been right down the street from Wild Roots, to be, to <laughs> be right. honest. So what was your third question? Because I went on that monologue. The third question was more culture related. Yeah. Correct? What, what's been your cultural journey and what's your definition of culture in, in manufacturing? Yeah, I, I think when you talk about aligning your values with company values, when we're talking about that type of cultural fit, you know, my mission is to elevate the top voices in manufacturing and help manufacturers tell their story to their ideal audience, their ideal prospects, etc. So where I've found culture has been the best fit for me in the manufacturing space is folks that are out there with a bigger cause other than just their immediate business, their immediate career. They're looking to elevate the industry as a whole. And that's really what uh, what the vibe of Manufacturing Happy Hour is. We're here to elevate those voices that are doing incredible things, not just for their companies, but for the industry as a whole. So that's my answer to that question. I love it. I love that. Uh, and I I couldn't have said it better myself uh, as to what I've gotten from your show over the years. You do a, a phenomenal job, Chris, of elevating the people who may not have that voice and, and uh, or or may not have that megaphone. Let's let's rephrase that. They all have a voice. They may just not have a megaphone to be able to get it out there. And, and that's why I've loved your show uh, in the past. The, the guests that I've listened to, uh, I, I really appreciate the work you do uh, and, and am very honored and humbled to have been a guest myself uh, now. So thank you very much. 
I do have to ask you, and you asked um, where are my favorite places, were you talking about like cities like that? Or were you actually asking about, a, hey, what manufacturing company has jumped out at you? I kind of just went my route on uh, on the city <laughs> path. <laughs> Look, Chris, you have, uh, in my estimation, you have been, since I started following you, have been connected with you. You're the Anthony Bourdain of manufacturing. So uh, I asked that question intentionally vague, not knowing where you were going to go with it, but having an idea that you would go the city route, right? Um, I didn't know what the two cities were, but you are that Bourdain. You're the guy who likes to travel, who likes to have good food, and you bring manufacturing along with you on that journey. So I, it was very on brand for you to ask or to answer that question the way you did. Uh, and I love it. I, I, I just, I appreciate your, your authenticity. Well, one last question for you. Where can people find Jim Mayer and the Manufacturing Culture Podcast? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn, search for Jim Mayer. Uh, I've got a big picture of myself uh, in a bathtub of ping pong balls on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find Manufacturing Culture Podcast uh, at our website, manufacturingculturepodcast.com. That's too long of a website. Uh, I've got to work on that. But we are also on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. We're now on Twitter, uh, TikTok. Haven't made the jump to Twitter yet or X. We're also on YouTube. You can just search Manufacturing Culture Podcast on any of those platforms. You'll find us a uh, big blue logo uh, with, with a gear and a brain and all that kind of fun stuff. And we will have plenty of spots to connect with Jim over in the show notes page. All those spots he just rattled off. With that, Jim, thank you so much for jumping on today's podcast. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thank you for listening. If you want to connect with Jim, if you want to subscribe to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 161. We also have links to every single restaurant that we mentioned over there. Bourbon and Bones in Chelsea's Kitchen in Arizona or Wild Roots in Wisconsin, wherever you are. As of recently, I have to say Wild Roots Duck Fat Burger is still my favorite in the area. Highly recommend. I do want to thank our sponsors before we wrap up. One more shout out to ISA. Don't miss their Black Friday sale. You can get discounts on merchandise, training, and more by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash blackfriday23. And if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to 3M Abrasive's YouTube channel so that you don't miss a single episode of their Clash of the Grinders student edition web series manufacturing reality show, as I like to call it. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M to subscribe today. And you know what? I've got a new call to action this week. In virtually every episode, we rattle off a restaurant or bar or two that we recommend as the spot where we'd be having the conversation, or in some cases where we're actually having the conversation. If you've ever visited one of these spots because of this show, and especially if you have pictures, Tell us. Feel free to share it on social media along with your takeaway from the episode. You can tag me on LinkedIn or any social platform using the handle MFG Happy Hour. Or hey, just shoot me a DM. Let's have some fun with this call to action this week. With that, stay innovative, stay thirsty. Go check out a new restaurant and bar, and we will catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour.
powered by the Industrial Network.